Lords of the Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, our listeners need to hear your dulcet tones emanating from that sweet new PC of yours. What's up, buddy? Uh, not too much, man. I am very, very excited to be finally enjoying the fruits of my Twitch labors here. I mean, it's mostly from many, many fine folks donating through my stream and got a shout out friend of the stream, Matt, aka Sunlock FTW, for helping me build this thing. He like pieced it together and and helped me assemble it. And by helped me assemble it, I mean assembled it while I watched him assemble it. But yeah, now I have a new computer to stream from, to record the podcast from. It's great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here, ready to talk about evaluating some cards. Yeah. Seems like there are, seems like there are sort of two people. Like there are people that put computers together and then people who have friends <laughs> that, put, <laughs> that put computers together for them. I fa- I fall in, I fall into the latter category. Yeah, yeah me too. Uh, one of the many many similarities you and I have. <laughs> Yeah, so we've got a whole lot of stuff we're trying to pack in to the episode this week, so I don't want to spend too much time dirtling beforehand, but I would be remiss if we started any episode of Lords of Limited without talking about the Patreon, Ben, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. Um, actually, the episode that we are going to be giving you today is coming out of the hero chat from our Discord. So if you give back to the show in any amount, you do get access to the Lords of Limited Discord, and that is where all things limited chat are happening. We're looking at RNA previews right now. I gotta say that is the place to be during spoiler season and during the early parts of the format. Everyone is looking at cards, evaluating them, seeing how the mechanics fit together, seeing how the set is going to piece together for limited, looking at all the bombs right now. We don't have any commons at our disposal really very much so far. But anyway, the Discord is fantastic. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, And our topic came out of our our hero chat from one of our very loyal patrons. Um, So we're really, really excited about the growth of the Patreon, really excited about some things to bring to you in 2019. And we, of course, want to make sure that we shout out each and every new patron first week that they join. So we want to welcome Henry, Justin, Razzle, Sam, Zach, Scott, Arturo, Danny, and Bastion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. I think those people made some New Year's resolutions to get better at MTG. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Ben, I'm kind of deep in some New Year's. I've really like rehashed my whole life. I'm, I'm going to the gym now. I'm on a little diet thing. I've got uh, I've got a lot of stuff in the works for myself in 2019. I give it a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably less. All right, so what are we doing today, buddy? We got a lot a lot to talk about. Yeah, we're going to be giving you some guidelines to evaluate cards by. We've got a new set coming up, and that means set reviews, and that means card evaluations. And I think one of the best things you can do, rather than just having card evaluation spoon-fed to you, is think about them critically yourself and figure out if the people that are doing those set reviews know what they're talking about or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest level ups for me as a Magic player was, I mean, starting this podcast. But once we started the podcast and having to do the set review, and now I do the set review with you, and I do it with uh, another streamer, Semulin, Travis Sowers. And so getting to talk to him about cards, getting to talk to you about cards, forcing myself to evaluate cards on my own, and then getting to relate that to all the other set reviews that I consume really helps me to get a good solid foundation for what cards to look out for, what cards maybe I think I have an edge up on, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then they get run through the Lords of Limited community and they're, they're quick to point out if they think we missed. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to try and, and 
split this up into sort of four distinct categories here. We've kind of packaged it in a little bit of an acronym. So we're going to use what we're going to refer to here on Lords of Limited as the VAST method. So we're going to look at this through the lens of the vanilla test, props to limited resources for that, the analog comparisons, set context, and testing in-game. So what do we got first here in vanilla test, Ben? So the vanilla test is this idea of a way to see if creatures are good based on their power and toughness as related to their converted mana costs. So for the mana you're investing, do you get good power and toughness stats without taking into context any other abilities or things like that that might be confusing? Uh, So for example, for two mana, you would expect a 2-2 creature. And sort of a shortcut that you can use with the vanilla test is if you look at power plus the toughness divided by two when compared to the converted mana cost. So for example, if we have a 2-2 two, two for 2, 2 plus 2 is 4, divided by 2, you would expect to see a converted mana cost of 2. And if that's the case, the creature passes the vanilla test and is probably, you know, playable in limited. So the idea here is to give a baseline to evaluate creatures. And the reason this is important is if you expect a 3-3 three, three to cost 3 mana, and it costs 5 mana instead you should expect it to make up for the lack of stats with some other ability. And if it doesn't, you would think of that as being below rate, right? If you expect a 4-3 to cost about 4 mana and it costs 2, you should probably expect it to come with a drawback, right? So then when you see a drawback, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you. So when you have a base to draw from, it will allow you to ask yourself if the additional effect or the drawback is worth the additional mana or the discounted mana. So for some examples of this, I think the first one we could take a look at is Wanted Scoundrels. This was a pretty contentious card between the two of us in the Ixalan set review. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one and a black for a 4-3 pirate. And when it dies, your opponent gets two treasure tokens on their side of the battlefield, which they can tap and sacrifice to add one mana of any color to their mana pool. So like this was, I think, kind of tricky to evaluate because a two mana 4-3 is pretty huge. But this kind of seemed like a drawback because your opponent got to like basically kill this with a removal spell. And then if that removal spell costs two, they basically got to kill it for free, right? Because they got the two treasure tokens or they could then save it to use it for later. The thing is, is that in this format of Ixalan, the removal wasn't very good. So they were like having to kill it usually for like four or five mana. Once Rivals of Ixalan came around, that sort of changed. But Wanted Scoundrels was did end up being pretty good. That sort of discount was worth it. Another card that we can look at, another 2-mana 4-3, is Blood Rage Brawler, which is 1 in a red for a 4-3. This is from Amonkhet. And when it enters the battlefield, you discard a card. So do you think that's worth it? Like paying 2-mana for a 4-3, getting that like 2-mana discount to throw away a card? I mean, on its front, I wasn't thrilled about it. But again, in the context of the format, that was just pretty big. And it came out pretty early. And a lot of the time, you know, you were discarding land or whatever and putting tons of pressure on your opponent. In general, the the drawback has to be pretty huge before these cards start to not pull their weight, it seems like. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And another one we've got on this list is Intrusive Pack Beast. Uh, That's from our most recent set, Guilds of Ravnica. Four and a white for the 3-3 Vigilance. When it ETBs, tap two target creatures your opponent's control. Not to toot my own horn, but I kind of nailed Intrusive Pack Beast. The body for the converted mana cost is just not not worth it right so if you if you go by the shortcut three plus three is six divided by two you would expect a three three to cost three and then the ability you're tacking on there to tap two target creatures is just not worth two mana i think people were looking at this through rose colored glasses of it always coming down on curve and you killing your opponent that turn you play it or shortly thereafter that just didn't end up being the case a lot of the time this card was fine but nothing special yeah for sure 
I think the flip side of this vanilla test looking at cards when they sort of like don't match up to the vanilla test is when they do, but they have additional text. There's sometimes a danger to think that the card is worse than it actually is. If you think about 10th district guard, that's one and a white for the two, two at ETBs gives another creature or gives a target creature plus zero plus one until end of turn. I mean, that ability is as close to irrelevant as you could tack onto a creature. Now, a two man two two is fine. I think like bear with upside was a phrase maybe like three or four years ago that people are still latching onto. And I think we here at Lords of Limited are moving away from in terms of good. Like I think you and I think about two mana two twos as like D pluses basically. Yeah, I'm hoping to not have a lot of two mana two twos in my deck. Yeah, just just like vanilla two mana two twos, you mean. Right, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, so but something like this in an aggro deck where you just need bodies, like this is fine, but I think there's a danger sometimes to think about these cards as maybe worse when actually they're just, you know, as as limited resources used to say, it's just, the rest is just gravy, right? You get the two mana two two, and then the rest is all pure upside. So I think just thinking about how like purely vanilla creatures stack up to their CMCs, I do think there's sort of like a, a bit of a, a bell curve that happens if we're just looking at creatures with just power, toughness, no abilities where like you know one mana one ones we never want to play two mana two twos are like we're looking to not play we get into the sweet spot usually with like three mana three threes four mana four fours or you know some variation of that of the four mana three five whatever if you have that nice distribution of like power plus toughness divided by two equals cmc and then once we get into like five cmc six CMC, it starts to like dip down again and you start to need to have abilities on there again, right? Like a six mana six six, you're not happy about, but a six mana six six with trample, hello Colossal Dreadmaw. Yeah, I've been revisiting my old friend Colossal Dreadmaw and the best of one queues on Arena, and I have been enjoying myself immensely there. Oh yeah. And so that brings us to the French vanilla test, which takes into account evergreen mechanics when you're evaluating the card. So no longer are you just looking at baseline stats, but you're also looking at the abilities they've got and whether or not, you know, that might be worth paying extra mana for. So the first, we're just going to go through the list here, uh, sort of, and kind of give our thoughts on each one and how relevant they are for limited. Uh, And first up on the list is Death Touch. I think you're generally going to expect to find Death Touch on small creatures, 1-1s, 2-2s. We saw a lot of Death Touch floating around in Guilds of Ravnica. And I think the value of Death Touch creatures is going to be based on how much you're expecting to do combat on the ground and how many big dumb things there are running around without trample that, you know, you're going to be able to trade up on mana for with your Death Touch creatures. I think also, so I think ideally with Death Touch, you're looking at one mana, one, one with Death Touch would be the best, I think, because like, you know, a two mana, two, two with Death Touch theoretically does about the same thing as the one mana, one, one. So you would rather pay less mana for it. But I think there's something else to look for with like if your death touch creatures are very small, like is there X1 hate, all that stuff. Like there's a lot of context as we'll get to later on. Uh, Defender is up next. Um, We've recently just been seeing defenders with zero power, it feels like, right? I'm like thinking about Gleaming Barrier for Rivals of Ixalan. We're thinking about Wall of Mist from Guilds of Ravnica. Like I love blocking a lot, but zero power because there does usually seem to be some sort of aggro deck in the format or multiple aggro decks in the format, maybe mechanics that care about attacking. Defender does often seem to be not great tacked onto these zero power creatures. And part of it is not even just necessarily zero power, but defender in general, sometimes you're going to want to curve out and your opponent's going to stumble and you're going to want to punish them. And you just can't if you have a creature with defender. Right. So I mean, definitely not an upside on the creature unless you're getting huge stats on the creature with defender. Mm hmm. And that brings us to Double Strike next, uh, which is just an absolute house in Limited. So the creature deals first strike combat damage and regular combat damage. These are scary with combat tricks. They sort of incentivize you to maybe put a couple extra pump spells in your deck. 
first strike holds back your opponent's team, plays great defense and smashes on offense too. double blocking uh, a double strike creature is is a pretty scary business. You're not often seeing double strike on anything other than like rares these days, it feels like. Yep. Uh, first strike is up next, which is like double strike, but half as good. It is still great, though. Um, you're again, I feel like we're usually seeing these on smaller creatures. Like I feel like a two two with first strike is pretty good, but I, I'm usually willing to pay that like extra bump of mana for like a three mana two two with first strike, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Emissary of Sunrise springs to mind from Rivals of Ixalan, Ixalan, two and a white for the two one first strike with Explore. That card was an absolute house because the two power with the first strike, you don't care if it's low toughness since it gets to deal combat damage first. And then Gravy on that card as well. Like that was just a fantastic efficient card. And next up, we've got Flash. Maybe gives you the ability to potentially ambush an opponent's creature in combat so you can cast it at instant speed. I've been pretty down on the last couple like big Flash creatures. As, as we get better and better at limited, I think it's just so hard to ambush better players. You know, if you leave, you're expecting to pay a premium, I think, for a Flash creature. So maybe like four mana for a 3-3 Flash or five mana for a 4-4 Flash. And if your opponent's leaving up four or five mana, uh, that's a pretty big tell that maybe you shouldn't be attacking into that open mana. Even Whisper Agent from Guilds of Ravnica. Two weeks into the format, you could just always tell when your opponent had it. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about having something that costs like three, four or five mana with Flash and having that in tandem with other instants. You know, if you've got a counter spell you could play or a removal spell or a draw spell, that sort of thing, it makes those a little better because you have options. I got a question for you. We got like basically a Mystic Snake reprint coming up in Ravnica Allegiance. How do you feel about that? Oh, card? yeah, I feel great about that card. Sign me up. <laughs> Sometimes flash on a creature is going to be pretty good. Uh, next up, we've got flying. Then I don't know if you know this, but flying is pretty good and limited. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard some people track that for each set and kind of see how many creatures with flying there are. Yeah, I just I just keep learning the lesson over and over again. I just played against Sasha ahead, dude, mm-hmm. uh, in on arena in best of one. And he just crushed me with soul of the rapids, like three, two flying hex proof. I just didn't have an answer for it. I was sitting in hand with two removal spells and you know, it flew over the top of me and won the game. Flying is really good and limited. I think it's super important to track where it's at. I think it's super important to track how you can combat that with reach as we'll get to in a little bit. Um, but flying is like one of the most powerful evergreen mechanics we have. Next up, we've got Haste, Paging Ryan Sacks, so creatures unaffected by summoning sickness. This is pretty strong in any aggressive deck. Uh, Riot, I think, is going to be a pretty big player in the next set, so that lets you choose between giving your creature Haste and or plus one, plus one when you cast it. Uh, and that's a pretty scary thought that it's going to be modal, either bigger or beating the turn it comes down, depending on what you want. Haste is big game. Uh, definitely looking to play haste creatures and aggro decks and being able to surprise your opponent from out of nowhere, I think is worth paying an extra mana or two for. I think it gets better the more expensive the creature is. Like, you know, a one mana, one, one haste looking at you, Torch Courier, is not exciting. Even like a two mana, two, two haste, that's kind of good. But once we're getting up there, like I think that's one of the reasons Barging Sergeant was so exciting. But like, you know, I, I'd be happy about like a four mana, three, two haste or something. That seems good to me it seems good to be able to like surprise your opponent once you've already got a board that's what i'm willing i think to to pay for those haste creatures yeah hexproof is up next this is probably the best mechanic for limited or like the worst depending on how you're thinking about it but it's the most powerful for sure every time the hexproof creature gets printed this time it's going to be a four and a blue for a two five hexproof like i'm sure it's still busted like hexproof has never not been crazy annoying and limited and i would usually pay like anything for a creature with hexproof it feels like at this point striped river winder looking at you oh my god yeah i that card was good <laughs> that card was not good yeah it was great it was one blue mana draw card <laughs> 
Yeah, so that was the six and a blue five five hex proof uh, with cycling that didn't quite didn't quite get there in that it wasn't format. quite the top blue common in that set. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's that joke goes way back on the podcast for some yeah. of you early listeners. But yeah, that two five hex proof from the new set, I I think is going to block insanely well. I'm I'm a little more excited about it blocking well than attacking well. But that's still annoying. Like I'm, I, can you imagine just being like like curving out on your opponent and they just play that and you're like, oh, I have no way to break through that now. Yeah, except we're going to be the people playing that card, and it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got indestructible, uh, so cannot be destroyed uh, by taking lethal damage. And again, super strong, lets you block creatures of any size, lets you attack with impunity. Pretty much your opponent has to have a minus X minus X effect or some sort of exile effect uh, to deal with it. So very resilient creature and well worth paying some extra mana for. Lifelink is up next. I think this might be, I don't know, if we think about Hexproof as number one, maybe Flying is number two. I think I might give Lifelink number three in terms of my limited power rankings for evergreen mechanics lifelink is really really important in terms of shaping the metagame for limited if we think about i mean i think you and i both have ixalan on the brain right now because we've been jamming rivals on arena but bishop soldier in tri- triple ixalan was really important the auras that grant lifelink like mark of the vampire squire's devotion playing sadistic sky marcher all these cards that have lifelink tacked on are huge huge swings even if you just get in for two four damage with them they can really swing the game in your favor swing it out of range for your aggressive opponent i think that lifelink really i mean incidental life gain in general but lifelink as a repeatable source of incidental life gain is really powerful and limited yeah i am splashing queen's agent right now in my rivals ixalan draft deck and i am thrilled about it you're doing it right buddy next up we've got menace can't be blocked unless it's blocked by two or more creatures uh this is sort of how wizards got rid of intimidate uh or even fear from way back in the day and menace is super strong if we think about bogart brute from m19 the two in a red for the three two menace that card was just a very difficult to deal with threat it, it demands leaving back double blockers uh and then you know you're at risk of getting two for one by combat tricks or instant speed removal when you do double block so menace is a very aggressive mechanic and again another you know powerhouse in the world of limited reach is up next and i think this is another thing that i'm really looking for i mean we usually find this on green creatures and i think one of our takeaways last week from the grn 50 takes was that like hitchclaw recluse was just better than we thought it would be even as a three mana one four with reach it's really important to have a reach creature or multiple reach creatures to combat the flyers in the set. And so I would not discount anything that has reach on it as uh, as being unplayable in limited. In fact, I would look towards it as a way to combat one of the most powerful mechanics that we have. So I, I would pay extra for that, but you usually don't have to. You usually get like a good big butt for your rate, like if we think about Grazing Whiptail or uh, the 3-5 for 5 mana from Dominaria. Like I think you just get good spiders that block in limited. Next up, we've got Trample looking at you, Colossal Dreadmaw. Uh, six mana, six, six with Trample is a huge threat. Six mana, six, six without Trample is kind of a bad card. Any creature that's like, you know, four, four or larger and has Trample, I'm very, very, very interested in. On smaller creatures, a little less so, like three, three, I'm not quite as crazy about it. But once you give it four power and Trample, that's something that must be dealt with or is going to do large chunks of damage to your opponent. Lastly, we have Vigilance. Vigilance, I think, gets better the more power toughness the creature has like we just saw a two mana two two and with the uh, vernati Shieldmate with vigilance and that wasn't great i mean the thing that you want to be able to do is to be able to attack in and then still have it back as a blocker two two doesn't do that very well a four four certainly does you know what does that super well sun crested pterodon from rivals of ixalan <laughs> absolutely right yeah definitely more toughness there than power but but 
gets the job done for sure. So yeah, just look for, I think, certainly higher toughness and and high power as well to be able to do both attacking and blocking to take advantage of Vigilance. Yeah, so if we're ranking then, we've got Hexproof 1, Flying 2, Lifelink 3. I think I would put First Strike slash Double Strike as number 4, and then maybe like Trample as number 5. Yeah, I mean, I would I would, I would, would throw Reach up there too, just because I'm always trying to like stave off the Flyers. But yeah, I think, uh, I think that sounds about right to me. And all of those you'd be expecting to find, like if they were on rate with a creature on the vanilla test, I think that creature would be very good. So for example, if you've got a three mana three, three with first strike or whatever, that creature's insane. And if you're paying, you know, an extra mana for some of these abilities, I think that's probably worth it as well. So we're going to move away from creatures just for a second and talk about spells. Now, there's not really a vanilla test when it comes to spells, right? We usually think about it with creatures, but I do think that there are some general rules that we've come to expect about the kinds of spells that we'll see in limited. So if we take a look at white, the kinds of things that we generally look for are like a pacifism effect, right? Like a can't attack or block. And we now expect those to basically cost three mana. We usually will expect to pay one mana for some sort of combat trick, four mana for some sort of oblivion ring effect, right? Some sort of enchantment that exiles a non-land permanent. So I'm not going to do this for all of these, but you know, just to give you an idea about how I want to think about cards when they deviate, right? We talked about looking at like a five mana three, three. Well, I expect that to have some stats. So if I look at something like Pious Interdiction from Ixalan, which is three and a white, for a pacifism effect, right? And if I expect to pay three mana for that, but now I'm paying four mana for that, well, what's the additional thing I get? I get to gain two life. So then I have to think about, well, is gaining two life for one mana worth it? Now, alone, I would say no. And we did sort of find that this card was a little too slow in Triple Ixalan, but the two life did matter sometimes. But so that's sort of how I think about these sort of deviation spells if that makes sense right you're looking at the base for what you would expect plus what's tacked on and then how much you have to pay for what's tacked on exactly yeah so moving on to blue you know three mana is sort of what we come to expect for counter spells a la cancel one blue blue counter target spell you know three or four mana for a claustrophobia type effect that's one blue blue when an etbs tap and chain a creature and the creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step so sort of three or four mana for blues version of like as close to unconditional as blue gets two mana for a bounce spell and those i think just keep going up and up and up in my estimation just being able to interact with your opponent at instant speed cheaply uh, being able to double block safely being able to attack into potential combat tricks safely one one bounce spell in your deck just does a ton for you four mana is kind of what we've come to expect for a grip tide type effect that's three and a blue instant put target creature on top of its owner's library somewhere maybe even up to five mana i think in the four to five mana range Uh, for that type of effect and then divination drawing two cards we would expect baseline three mana for that and then maybe occasionally there's going to be extra effects tacked on and it's going to run up to four mana or something uh black we usually get like two removal spells right one to three mana for some sort of conditional removal spell maybe it's dead weight maybe it's moment of craving maybe it's vanquish the weak that sort of thing and then usually expect four to five mana for uh an unconditional removal spell for a murder so we've got contract killing or impale or deadly visit that sort of thing maybe something like deadly visit gets something even tacked on to that like surveil two which makes it better i think uh and we usually expect like three mana for some sort of discard two, like a mind rot effect that kind of thing yeah and lately the cheaper black removal spell has been outperforming the more expensive one right well i think i mean Creatures are by and large getting smaller. We're often seeing like two twos for two, for three, for four. So that cheap removal spell gets to, you know, 
trade off for a lot more mana than the, the expensive one does. Yeah, it does seem like we've seen smaller creatures a lot lately in sets. Moving on to red, uh, sort of similar to black, one to three mana for a conditional removal spell, four to five mana for near unconditional, like does five damage, four damage, whatever the magic number happens to be in the format. Mm-hmm. It usually deals with those type of things. Think Command the Storm dealing five damage in Guilds of Ravnica. You know, that's going to kill your five mana four fives running around. Uh, and then two mana sort of for a combat trick. Think Sure Strike, one in red, plus three, plus oh, and first strike. That's sort of the going rate for red spells. Green is sort of tough to pin down. Like we've seen fight spells all over the place. We get different costs for whether it's instant or sorcery, if it boosts power and toughness or not. But usually that's anywhere from like one to four mana from like Prey Upon to Hunt the Weak. Um, we could see like one to two mana for a pump spell, um, you know, a, a giant growth, a titanic growth, that sort of thing. Two to three mana for some sort of naturalized plummet, crushing canopy effect. That's that's what green usually gets to do. And then we're going to move away from spells and into creatures that might have enter the battlefield effects. So to do creatures with ETB effects, you sort of have to combine what you would expect the creature to cost based on the vanilla test and what you would expect the spell to cost that you're sort of getting as the effect on the enter the battlefield trigger from the creature. So for example... Uh, Muse Drake from Guilds of Ravnica, three and a blue for a 1-3 flyer, and when it ETBs, you draw a card. Two mana is sort of what you would expect to pay for a 1-3 flyer, I think, and two mana to draw a card is what you would expect to pay. Uh, So both of those combined onto a creature for four mana should be really good, Uh, and I think we both rated Muse Drake pretty well for Guilds of Ravnica, but it just didn't end up quite performing in the context of the set. That's why we're going through all these different ways to evaluate cards. Sometimes they're not just going to hold up based on what you would expect from the vanilla test or the French vanilla test. Uh, we think about a classic card, Man of War, uh, two and a blue for a 2-2 that ETBs and bounces a creature. So paying two mana for a 2-2 is fine. And paying blue for bounce a creature, so that's unsummoned, that's also fine. Tack those together that's a pretty good card. And lastly, we've got Ravenous Chupacabra, which was absurd and is continuing to crush me as I go back to best of one Rivals of Ixalan, uh, especially because you can get Recover super late uh, in best of one on Rivals of Ixalan. Bots are way underrating that card. It had the same converter mana cost as Impale, which was two black black sorcery destroy target creature. And it comes with a 2-2 body. And when the creatures have ETB effects like this, you know, being able to rebuy them with a recover or blink them with some sort of thing or bounce them, you just get to reuse the effect over and over. ETB creatures are pretty strong. Um, We also want to take a look at creatures with repeatable activations, which can be maybe tough to evaluate. So we can look at cards like looters, like which are named after like Merfolk Looter, which is one in a blue for a 1-1, tap to draw a card, then discard a card. Something like a pinger, like uh, some creature that can tap to deal damage either to a player. If we think about Thermo Alchemist and that being repeatable, that was like one of the best red commons. Hashtag I'm with Ben in uh, Ultimate Masters. Um, Heck yeah. You can think about guild mages, any sort of like mana sinks, things with repeatable effects that either cost mana or don't. These are all probably going to be on creatures that are below rate, right? You're paying like two mana for a 1-1 or three mana for a 1-1, like because you're paying for something that has utility. Uh, This is also harder to analyze if it's on an artifact or enchantment, right? We don't really have, you think about something like disinformation campaign, right? There's some utility there, some card advantage there, but how strong is that going to be? You and I sort of both missed on that, ended up being very powerful. Those things are tricky to evaluate. Those creatures, when these abilities are on creatures, is also often become like what we call lightning rod creatures, right? Things that like are just like must kills. So maybe they don't even stay around that long. So you don't think they're very good, but really they're like eating a premium removal spell. So that does give them value. Uh, All of that sort of wrapped up in how you want to think about these things that have repeatable activations or, or are mana sinks. 
Well, I think the other thing to keep in mind when it's coming on an artifact or an enchantment is that you're not affecting the board in a way that lets you block or stabilize to use the repeatable effect, right? If you're playing that card from M19, like the three-man artifact that lets you three-tap draw a card, that was really powerful if you had the time to use it. But if you're under pressure and you're getting beaten down is often not very good. So a lot of times, like the impact the card is going to have on the game is based on whether or not you're stable or can stabilize. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, all of this under the umbrella of the vanilla test is based on prior experiences with cards, right? We're making comparisons with cards we've played with before, which is going to bring us to our next segment that we want to take a look at evaluating cards through, which is analog comparisons. So the best tool you have to evaluate new cards, I think, is to try and find analogs or comparisons for them from previous sets. So one big thing from Gills of Ravnica for me that I think I hit right off the bat was Experimental Frenzy, which was a card I was super high on even when I did my set review with Travis. I think he and I both gave it like a B plus or something. You know, it was a a bomb or a near bomb, um, really, really powerful. And one of the reasons that I feel like I nailed that was because I had the chance to play with a card Future Sight in Cube, which is two blue, blue, blue for an enchantment. You play with the top card of your library revealed and you can play the top card of your library as if it were in your hand, which doesn't sound busted until you get to go like play a spell. Oh, I see another spell. Let me play that. Oh, I see a land. Let me play that. And then you realize that this card is drawing you like two, three, four cards a turn. So I, I think being able to compare cards like that is just a really, really powerful tool that you have to try and predict what cards may be good in upcoming sets. Right. And also from recent sets, Capture Sphere uh, might have been better than Watcher in the Mist from Guilds of Ravnica. But we all got to play with Cloud Reader Sphinx, which was four and a blue for the three, four Scry two when it comes into play from Dominaria, which helped us realize that Watcher in the Mist was probably going to be better than Capture Sphere. Not to mention more and more, the more we do the podcast and from recent sets, like the blue and white removal that leaves creatures on the battlefield just is a little bit less good than the black and the red stuff that takes it off the battlefield. I just keep finding myself running into that time and time and time again. Totally agree. I mean, I think that has to do with there being bounce effects for sure. That has to do with there being utility creatures for sure. I think that also has to do with there being fight spells floating around that you can then just like use those creatures. Uh, Speaking of fight spells that don't grant power and toughness, I think we're sort of, uh, those are on our our no-go list. You know, we're thinking about Pounce and Prey Upon being rarely played in their respective sets recently. I, I think that in upcoming sets, I mean, we've got a fight spell that is coming up that's sort of clunky-ish, but basically doesn't grant power and toughness. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a no-go for us. Yeah, I am, any fight spell, I am just firmly off of that doesn't grant power and toughness boosts. It's hard enough to leverage one that gives power and toughness boosts because you can never cast them into open mana. And just like requiring a bigger creature than your opponents for what you want to kill is just a big ask. Next up, we've got Conclave Guild Mage. Uh, taking a look at that from the most recent set in comparison to the two previous iterations of Selesnya Guild Mage and B2 Ghazi Guild Mage. The Conclave Guild Mage is just way underpowered compared to its Ravnica and RTR comparisons. Um, And I think this is, again, a bear with upside. You know, you're always going to take that card. You're always going to play it. But I think, you know, this was our preview card, and I think we correctly evaluated it uh, as one of our preview cards that it was just like fine. It didn't really pull you into green white. The ability to make a token was way overcosted. It cost six mana. And so, again, like, you know, you would expect to pay two mana for a 2 2. And here, this creature is letting you do it repeatedly, but it's six mana. That's essentially a whole turn of magic to make a 2 2. And spending your turn to make a 2 2 is just not worth it in the current version of Limited, unless you're completely 100% stable, which just is not a game state you're always going to run into. 
game in and game out. And I think the fact that it taps to activate, I mean, all of them, the fact that they tap to activate, that you couldn't use their abilities the turn you cast them. Like if you top deck that with eight mana, and I can't make a tiny little tutu that also really like tipped us over to feeling that that card was fairly meh. Uh, Siege Worm, lastly, is a, a card. I mean, we're just rattling through like ways that we had had looked at cards and how that shook out or how we how we maybe decided to put a card under a lens and, and what we saw under that lens. Uh, Siege Worm in Guilds of Ravnica, I think this was a pretty big miss for most people. I think, you know, even a few weeks into the format, I was trying to hang on to like, well, Siege Worm is still the best green common, and then there's like anything else really. The card is very strong, but within the context of this set in particular, as compared to original Ravnica or Magic Origins, it wasn't set up to perform as well, right? Convoke just wasn't the thing. There weren't the token makers that we would expect to be able to get this out. Out. this wasn't a like wait to get out your one big threat kind of format it just it, it wasn't how the green white convoke deck was playing out right and we, so that brings two points into light one that analog comparisons can sometimes lead you down a straight path and you should be careful with it but two that moving forward you have to look at things in the context of the set that they're in which is where maybe occasionally analog comparisons will get you into trouble so right. for limited, one of the most important things you want to take a look at first is the mechanics that are in the new set, both how, how prevalent evergreen mechanics are and whatever the new mechanics are. So like, for example, Riot and Spectacle looking forward to Ravnica Allegiance. So the power level of the new mechanics, maybe certainly even aggressive mechanics, especially, and how prevalent they are at common or uncommon can all give you sort of a big picture of what you're going to expect uh, for how certain cards or certain mechanics or, you know, in the case of Guilds of Ravnica or even looking forward to Ravnica Allegiance, how those guilds are going to play out. Right. So, I mean, I think Surveil was something that was easy. I mean, if you think about analog comparison, Surveil was Scry, but instead of it going on the bottom, it went into your graveyard. So it was fairly easy to figure out that one... Cards going into your graveyard was better than cards going on the bottom of your library. I think we've all sort of learned now that like things going into your graveyard is not really a downside unless you're going to get decked. So uh, Surveil just looked better than Scry. It was also very abundant, right? It was the most prominent mechanic among all the five guild mechanics at common. It had payoffs and all of that led to it being just fantastic. Yep. And looking at Mentor also looked super strong. Those aggressive mechanics, especially ones that tend to snowball, have been very good in recent sets. It really seems like Wizards is pushing us to want to attack with creatures. This was no no different than past aggressive mechanics. So we can think back to Exert. We can think back to Battalion. All of the aggressive mechanics from recent sets have just been good and been worth doing. And I'm going to sort of just trust that that's the case moving forward and try to be willing to draft aggro. I mean, I did at the start of this format. My first three drafts, first three trophies were all Boros. Yeah. I mean, Riot looks ridiculous to me. It looks bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the red green mechanic certainly looks fantastic. We don't have a, a huge grasp on what the commons, like the field of commons looks like, but but that mechanic itself looks super, super powerful. Um, I think we also kind of nailed undergrowth, right? It wasn't on that many cards. There were not a lot of ways to enable it. There were pretty weak payoffs, like save from Rhizome Lurcher. It just wasn't super important. It wasn't really what the black-green decks were trying to do. Now, you know, we were, I think, Golgari apologists. I think we both thought that guild ended up being strong. You could definitely draft a good version of that deck if no one else at your table was drafting it. It also, like, led to you being able to pivot into other decks. But just Undergrowth as a mechanic itself 
wasn't super strong. So when we were looking at these undergrowth cards during the set review, I think we had a really good idea of the big picture of what that looked like, like how many instances of it there was. And we, during our set review, really tried to avoid looking at rares and mythics just because they so rarely come up. They are rare, in fact. Um, So I, I think when we focus on just the commons and uncommons, we really get a sense of, well, if this only comes up on five different commons in the set, and there's only one way to enable undergrowth, and it's an uncommon, this really isn't going to come together that much. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. I think when we're thinking about set context, another thing we really want to look at is how creature sizes match up against the removal. And not only that, but how creature sizes match up against other creature sizes. And I think this is one of the things I'm best at as a magic player when the format's new. I really enjoy figuring out like this part of the puzzle, like what the magic number is and what sort of creatures overperform based on their power and toughness, etc. You know, and one thing certainly from recent sets, you know, we just had Ryan on to talk about aggro and he was talking about taking a look at two drops, you know, giving you a clue as to how aggressive the format is. You know, if the two drops look overstatted based on their converted mana cost, that's probably going to clue you in that the format is pretty aggressive. Yeah, I think that will also let you know if auras are strong cards in the formats or if they're liabilities. Yeah, and certainly taking into account removal too, the cost of the removal. I think the more, that was a lesson from Ixalan, the more expensive the removal is, the better the cheap creatures, the better the cheap aggressive creatures are probably going to be because you have to invest more mana in killing them when you're on the back foot. Right. You also want to look at how creature converted mana cost matches up against removal converted mana cost. Like if we think of shock is in a format one red deal two damage and snapping drake is in a format three and a blue for a three two with flying that can be a huge tempo advantage for the player casting shock right you're trading one mana for four mana that's one other reason why we're talking about why the like cheap black removal seems to be getting better and better yeah absolutely and that was the case in m19 i mean shock was great and snapping drake was a bit of a liability yep and the next thing we want to do is look at how cards interact with each other Uh, and this can give you a big leg up in the format if you see cards interacting profitably together Um, so not only just drafting cards in individual fashion but drafting cards that work well together cohesively uh, rather than just you know having the most b's or B pluses or B minuses or whatever in your draft deck. And I think this is one of the things that I need to improve the most as a drafter. And I think this is one of the things that you're best at as a drafter. I think you're right. And because as I was going through this, I was looking at the Dominaria spoiler and there were so many things that came up as I was looking through. I was like, oh yeah, these two cards together and these two cards. And oh, once I took Tatiova, I wanted more of these cards. And like, I think that like that's of our time doing the podcast, that's the only format that I have had more success at than you. And I think that may be one of the reasons. And I think the thing that got me to do that was drafting a lot of cube. Cube is all about going like, well, once I take this, I'll build around it like this. Or, well, once I have this, how does that card interact with these other things? You know, I think that's like, Uh, A thing I enjoy a lot is like putting those little puzzles together. So looking at recent sets, Forerunner of the Empire, that's the uh, dinosaur Forerunner from Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan, that lets you put a dinosaur on top of your library. That was really powerful in tandem with Needletooth Raptor, because then when you played your Needletooth Raptor, it triggered the ability on the Forerunner to immediately be able to deal five damage to any target of your choice, or just going up and getting something like Crested Herdcaller that made two bodies of dinosaurs to let you deal two to everything on ETB, sort of a little pseudo uh, pyroclasm, build your own pyroclasm type effect. Those sorts of little combos or interactions are important things to keep a lookout for uh, when you're trying to evaluate new cards. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about a bunch of things from Dominaria. There's a few that I really enjoyed was like, I mean, Mirari Conjecture was very strong. um, So it made Blink of an Eye more important, even though Blink of an Eye was already like the best blue common or second best blue common. 
but it also made rescue playable. You just wanted an instant that could rebuy Mirari Conjecture. And then if you had other little things where rescue is good, like if you had an Inbolus's clutches that you wanted to protect, or if you had, you know, an Icy Manipulator or maybe one other saga, that sort of thing, you know, you didn't need much to make rescue feel good once you had a Mirari Conjecture. Uh, you could also like loop uh, Rona and Time of Ice together, right? Once Time of Ice went off, you could play Rona, get Time of Ice, and then you could have Rona be tapped when Time of Ice's third chapter was resolving so that it would bounce back to your hand and you could do it all over again. All that stuff I think is super fun. And I think when your deck is greater than the sum of its parts, you are going to have more success in Limited. I think more and more as we get to like, you know, guild synergies, tribal synergies, uncommon build arounds, limited sets are becoming more complex, I think, and they're becoming fewer unplayables as sets come out. So I think, you know, being able to figure out how even those like, you know, third to last pick, second to last pick commons can fit into a deck can really up your win percentage or really up the value of your deck. Yeah, absolutely. The last of our four ways to look at evaluating cards is testing in game. Magic cards can only be theorized about for so long. Thinking about cards in a vacuum is helpful for sure, but placing them in the context of a game and better yet seeing them in play is the most reliable way to find out how good or bad they are. You know, one of the like, I don't know how I felt. It, it felt a little demoralizing because I can't do it. But when we had Andrew Cunio on and we were asking him about how he prepares for a set, he was like, I don't look at the spoiler. I just I just draft. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. But there's something to that. Like he just I think he probably just feels like this is the most important tenet of looking at cards and he's going to use the other three tenets as he's reading the cards in the pack, you know? Yeah, I think that certainly makes sense. And I think it's probably you don't come in with false pretenses then when you're learning on the fly as you go, you're having to evaluate each card as you're drafting it and playing it. I think certainly testing in game, one thing you definitely want to be keeping an eye on is equipment. It's pretty tricky to evaluate. Pirate's Cutlass was one of the best commons, if not the best common in Triple Ixalan draft. Glaive of the Guild Pact also has been an outstanding powerhouse in Guilds of Ravnica. Um, But, you know, for example, Dagger of the Worthy in Hour of Devastation uh, with the Afflict and plus two plus O just didn't really pull its weight. So a lot of times how good equipment is is going to be dependent on the speed of the format and the creature size of the format. And a lot of that is pretty difficult to predict heading into a format without having played it. So once you've played, you know, your first four or five drafts and you've kind of got a hang on those things, maybe go back and take a look at the equipment and try to think about whether or not you think it'll be good in the context of the set. Yeah. So if we look back at like, you know, our predictions versus testing Guilds of Ravnica, playing games of Guilds of Ravnica, I think going in, we thought the five drops in Boros seemed fairly interchangeable. Like even like a week or two into the format, I remember us saying that. I think we said that in our our Boros episode. But Barging Sergeant proved itself to be head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, So I think once we saw how that played out, once we saw Intrusive Pack Beast not pulling its weight, Command the Storm not pulling its weight, that sort of thing, Barging Sergeant really became the thing that you wanted at your 5 CMC slot. It was basically Glorybringer. Hottest take. We have 51 (laughs) takes now for GRN. (laughs) Next up, we've got Disinformation Campaign, you know, sort of taking a look back at cards that maybe weren't obvious on their face value. We underrated this. I talked you down because I thought it was going to be too clunky to do over and over, but really ended up being a powerhouse because the format was, despite the presence of Boros, you know, just making your opponent discard, maybe they missed a land. If they stumble at all or the board stalls out at all, disinformation campaign just wins the game. Uh, and I think that's sort of what we missed, or at least mm-hmm. that I missed, like just how backbreakingly powerful it was to two for one your opponent, not even just once, but if you did it a second time, the game was largely over. Yeah. 
we can sort of throw some of our like previous evaluations out the window when we look at this next card, which I thought was pretty interesting. So uh, Harrier Naga was basically Centaur Corsair was two and a green for a three three in Hour of Devastation. It looked great. I think one of us put this as like a, one of the top three green commons, but. A vanilla 3-3 three, three for 3 was like one of the worst things green could do in that set. It just like didn't end up pulling its weight. And I think that, you know, we were pretty quick to move off of that. But, you know, you so you like come in with these evaluations. And once you see things in play or see them in draft, it's it's really interesting. Like you can imagine that maybe like you can look, look at a card and be like, well, how is this going to play out? But that, that's much different than actually seeing it play out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you're just looking at things like Douser of Lights, Devious Cover-Up, Gird for Battle, all from the last set. You know, if you put those cards on the vanilla test or, you know, the French vanilla test or whatever, you know, Douser of Lights, five mana for a four five, that should be whatever. It should be a C, C minus or Devious Cover-Up should be borderline unplayable yeah as like as like a four mana counterspell based on you know heuristics from past sets and what we've expect from spells that are counterspells i'm not even generally thrilled to put a three mana counterspell in my deck in limited or gird for battle being like looks like a bad aura but i think you know after having ryan on and certainly playing with it in the context of the format all of those cards have a role and it was format dependent you know Mm -hmm. i think the most important thing here is to be flexible in your evaluations i think this is something that you're very good at um and you're always coming back to the show being like all right i think i'm up on this i'm down on this like i think that's one of your strengths and one of the things i feel like you're most hungry for at the start of a format so i think for our listeners and for me certainly I think we need to notice more what you're losing to or what you're winning with and adjust accordingly. There's a tendency, and I think I, I, you know, one of my 2019 resolutions, checking my ego at the door, I'm not going to be stubborn in what I think should be good in limited. I think I've got a hold on a lot of ideas or tenets I feel like about like, well, well, this card is good in limited or this is bad. Centaur course was always good in limited or whatever. Well, maybe not. Maybe sometimes it won't be. And I think noticing that quickly is how you're going to get a leg up. Right. And so you should start with the other three, right? You're starting with yes, the vanilla test, the French vanilla test, moving into analog comparisons, and then you're diving into how is it in the context of the set? And then as soon as you get to play with it, you're really diving into number three and four, like in the context of the set and how it plays out in the games in the context of the set. Like number three, you're sort of trying to guess around the spoiler time when you're in the set context. And then as soon as you get in game, like just set context and in game is all that matters. Right. So for the non-Andrew Cunios of the world, and I think maybe the non-Ben Wernies, because I don't think you track spoiler season until the full set is out. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I don't do anything until the... I, I see on Twitter, but I don't seek anything out until the full spoiler's out, because that's all that matters. And then I don't look at the rares or mythics <laughs> until I start to draft. I do do I do, do the Andrew Cunio method for the rares and mythics. Like, oh, this is stupid. Why is that here? <laughs> So for the rest of us uh, out there who do track the spoilers, I think it's important to look at cards under the vanilla test and under the analog comparisons when you're looking at them in just a vacuum, right? Because we can't do the other two until the full spoiler is out. So you can look at a card and you can look at it under the vanilla test or the French vanilla test. You can look at it like, well, does this remind me of any card I've played with before? Maybe it's a mana more expensive or whatever. Does that give me any clues about the set as a whole? Once the full spoiler drops, then you can start to look at the set context, right? You can start to look at, well, I see the whole picture here. I see all the mechanics. I see all the instances of evergreen. I see all the removal spells. I see the creature sizing, all that stuff. So now I can start to put the evaluations I've made from the vanilla test and analog comparisons under the context of the set. But the piece of the puzzle is still left there is pre-release, is release, is grinding on arena or magic online or in paper or at GPs or magic fests or whatever. And that's going to give you 
the final piece of the puzzle, which is really the most important, which is seeing the cards in play. Speaking of seeing those cards in play, you and I are both going to be participating in the Ravnica Allegiance streamer pre-release event on Arena. Yeah, we are super excited about that. That's a Wizard-sponsored event. We're both really, really happy to get to participate. Um, Thank you so much, Wizards, for uh, letting us participate. That's going to be on Wednesday, January 16th. Um, I don't know when I'll be streaming. I don't know if you know when you'll be streaming then, but we will certainly both be streaming, crushing, hopefully, some Ravnica Allegiance. And whatever the outcome, we are definitely going to be bringing you the results of getting to draft ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Speaking of Ravnica Allegiance, Ben. Yeah. We've got our preview card. Speaking of WotC sponsored events, we are super excited to get to participate in spoiler season. Thank you, Wizards, for the free preview content. We've got a card coming at you here, Ben. Another Guild Mage. They, they seem to know what we like here. Oh, yeah. So without further ado, our preview card is Senate Guild Mage, blue-white for a 2-2 human wizard, and has the abilities of white tap, you gain two life, and blue tap, to loot, draw a card, then discard a card. This is a pretty sweet guild mage here. Yeah, this seems better than all the guilds of Ravnica guild mages. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So if we put it on the vanilla test, two mana for a 2-2, passes, check. Check. And then we're moving on to sort of the French vanilla test of repeatable abilities. What do you think about white tap gain to life? I think that's good. I think that's very strong in some control decks. And it's super cheap, right? Just like incidental life gain, as we talked about with lifelink, is pretty strong. And paying one white mana for that, like you can usually find a place to have one mana on your turn or every other turn. So that seems good to me. Right. The Golgari Guild Mage at two mana was just like a little too expensive to get to do it as much as you wanted. I think one mana seems a lot more doable to be able to hold up to gain two life. Yeah. And then the next ability, Blue Tap to Loot, that is just absolutely fantastic, right? Oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, it's not card advantage, but card selection is quite powerful. And cheap also. Like, we would expect, I think, recently to pay, you know, three mana for a 1-1 to do something like that, and maybe even have it cost more than one to activate. Looters have gotten worse and worse. This is the best looter I think we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, probably in the lifetime of our podcast, for sure. Yeah, I mean, these both abilities are just so, so cheap. Comparing them to the Guilds of Ravnica mechanics, like we look at League Guild Mage, to draw a card it was three and a blue that's like twice as much as you would want to pay to draw a card and now this isn't drawing a card but it's it's close i mean late in the game it's gonna be essentially drawing a card right you're just never gonna draw land so after you're like sixth land you're like all right i'm done this this is a must kill card i think yes i absolutely agree must kill card all right so i'm getting ahead of myself here so we've looked at it under the vanilla test another french vanilla test we've even made some comparisons to the swarm guild mage for the life gain ability this is a whole mana cheaper it's half as expensive, which is pretty big game. And we've made some comparisons to a Merfolk Looter, which, you know, doesn't cost mana to do, but one blue mana is not that much. So, you know, we seem to be getting a pretty good rate on all that stuff. Uh, we can't really look at it under the context of the set, but we do know what the blue-white mechanic is at this point, right? Yeah, that's addendum. So if you cast a spell during your main phase, you get some sort of a bonus, which works a bit at odds with this, right? Ideally, you're holding up mana to do these abilities at instant speed. Um, but not like there's not a huge grading uh, dis synergy there or lack of synergy. Right. Yeah, there's there's not it doesn't really feel like it works with it or without it. I mean, it does feel like if you're like looting, then you're like more encouraged to do it on your turn. So you can find a spell to cast on your turn to get the addendum bonus. But we don't even know how much addendum there will be or how good the bonuses will be at common or uncommon. I do think one thing that I've come 
to realize with the guild mages is that two two is pretty fragile. Like you're probably not hoping to attack or block with this in the early stages of the game because you want it to stay alive. So it's going to function a little bit more like an artifact or an enchantment. I mean, you would almost rather this just was a two mana artifact with those two abilities, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Right. Because it, it is so fragile. and We're probably going to have a, a few cheap removal spells that can just pick it off. But I mean, your opponent's going to be forced to use those. It does demand an answer because it's going to it's going to take over the course of the late game if it goes unanswered. Well, certainly during release and pre-release, we'll have a chance to play with this. But hopefully even during the Arena Ravnica Allegiances event, we'll have a chance to try out this card and get to finally complete the puzzle of Vast and test this in game. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be like a B minus. At least looking at this now, this makes me want to play Azorius. Yeah, I, I would probably grade this as a solid B. This seems fantastic to me. I mean, just it, maybe it's just because I was used to all the kind of poopy guild mages from Guilds of Ravnica, but this just seems great. Yeah, I think it's way better than all those. Oh, man, I can't believe it's already going to be the Crash Course next week. Crash Course next week? Ravnica Allegiance is coming on out. Yeah, I mean, Guilds of Ravnica felt like it was out for a long time, but also I was like, wait, wait, it's already happening. Like, I feel like spoiler season just started and now it's going to be over and now the full set's going to be out and then we get to play with a new set. Yeah, once once the spoilers start, it just goes by in a blur. What do you know? You don't even look at the spoilers. (laughs) I see them on Twitter. I'm aware that they're happening. All right. All right. You're aware. He's aware, everybody. I posted in our our Lords of Limited Discord about like four days after a card came out that I thought it was insane. (laughs) Which one was that? The red green common card with Riot. Oh, the two mana two two with riot? No. Oh, the like four mana three three. Yeah, four mana three three with riot trample, and it has the activated ability four red green to give it plus three plus zero until end of turn. Frenzied Erinx. Yeah, that card is just stupid powerful. Yeah, that's really really busted for sure. All right, well, hopefully that gave you some good insight to being able to look at some new cards. Like, go open up the spoiler. Go look at some of these cards under these lenses. Try and think about them in the abstract. Think about them in how they relate to other cards you've seen before. Think about them and how they relate to the other cards in the set. And think about how they're going to play out in gameplay. And pretty soon your ability to evaluate cards will be vast. Nice. I like it. Was that trying too hard? Was that trying too hard? (laughs) No, 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 no. That was was perfect. All right, that's a good place to wrap things up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Again, we are going to be doing that sweet sponsored Watsi event for Arena on January 16th. You can check us out there. Find us on Twitter at Lord Tupperware for me, at Mr. Metronome for Ben, and at Lords of Limited for the podcast. Yeah, and if you are jamming some Rivals of Ixalan on Arena, you just came out with a new cards for your article that is a sort of review or crash course what you should be doing in Rivals of Ixalan draft. Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out. I had a lot of people clamoring for that when I was playing Rivals on stream yesterday, and I think it's super helpful if you're just looking for like a little quick tidbit, which people often are like, what's the one thing I should learn? Well, take five minutes, read that article, and I think you'll be good to go. And if you've got an hour, you should go back and listen to Avoiding the Aggro Trap. I think that episode holds up so hard, and I still think aggro is not great, even in best of one. Yeah, preach. Blue-red aggro and black-red aggro are not where you want to be in Rivals of Ixalan, for sure. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
not to tout my own horn here, toot my own horn. Uh, what it, that, those words don't go together. <clears throat> That's fine. You could, come on, not, you're a band director. You can tout anything. You can tout a horn, <laughs> toot a horn, whatever you want to do. 